You're listening to Resident. Rehivasi. Kazi. Banor. Mukim. Ipua. Ritil Deganashi. Al Mukim. Residente. A 10 part series exploring individual perspectives on the immigrant experience in Ireland and the personal histories that led them here. This is episode 6 Gustavo. My name is Gustavo Porras. I'm from Venezuela, in a city called Maracay, which is in the north-central Venezuela. And I arrived here in 2014. So I have been here for uh, seven years now. The city is uh, close to the Caribbean Sea. So it's beautiful. <laughs> kind of tropical city, chilling out, you know, that vibe. And we are basically close to a, a national park called Henry Pittier, which is a rainforest park. You get up in the morning and you see all the mountains over there. You can go for, you know, hiking. You have, you know, the beaches as well to go. It's a beautiful place. All the neighbors are really, really close to each other. Everyone look after each other over there too. So that's the, maybe the good side of it as well. But on the other side, it's like a rough place to grow, to be honest. It's, it's a beautiful neighborhood, but at the same time, they have the bad side of it. So it's easy to get involved in problems, you know, with crime and all that kind of stuff. The most beautiful memories that I have from my childhood is that in South America, we have something called squares that is not really common in here. In each town, we have this huge square where people gather together just to have a chat. So we have a lot of cultural activities in there, in those squares. So when I was a kid, I used to go there to see like traditional music, traditional dancing, traditional kind of puppets as well, and a lot of activity for kids. And that was amazing. It was every weekend, and I used to go there no matter what. To be honest, I have problem in the school when I was a kid. I was a, a, a slow learner. <laughs> I loved maths. I wasn't good at it, but I like it and that kind of way. But it was for me super difficult to to learn reading and writing. And my vocabulary was really bad as well. It was frustrated, but I understand that I have that difficulty that I have to, you know, try to overcome somehow. So I used to take a lot of extra classes after school and with my auntie. She used to like help me with reading, with writing a lot. So I tried to focus on, on that obstacle that I have in there. But also, I was a very aggressive kid. I was involved in a lot of fights and all the time. <laughs> Maybe that was the frustration, you know, slow learning. And then, you know, as well, I didn't take you know, jokes, you know, in a good way. But that was, you know, the way people resolve everything over there. Like, if you're joking there, if you cross the line, something like that, the reaction was like, talk to you, the reaction was getting a fight. And I was new in that school. When I go there, everyone tried to be, you know, the, the king in the jungle, you know. So then if they cross your boundaries and you don't react, 
everyone is gonna, you know, take the piss out of you, basically. So yeah, it was uh, kind of weird, but eventually it gets better. Like it gets better when you know people and and all that. My parents, uh, they were like workers. Like they didn't actually finish school, and or even primary school. My mom, she had to work at a very young age, like 15 years old, and she was like working already. They were very hard for us because since I was a kid, my mom all the time said, you need to, you know, go to college, you need to focus on this, you need to work hard. The only thing that I want you to do in life is a student, student because I didn't have the opportunity. They didn't have the opportunity because they're coming from a very humble background. And I always, since an own age, I took that seriously. She didn't give me a break, to be honest, and, and what's great, yeah. There is a huge uh, military base in my city. It's the biggest in South America. And my whole life, I want to be a combat pilot. So I used to love see the, the fighting airplanes in the sky and all that stuff. It was like, oh my God, I want to one day be there. And actually, when I was in my last year in, in secondary school, I took the test for that. It was mental, three days of tests. Psychologically, a lot of math tests, English, all that stuff. And for three days, it's, you know, it was hard. And actually passed all the tests, but I got sick three months before getting the academy. And they didn't let me get in there because the initial process is very hard and unique. At least one year of recover after a surgery, which I had. So it was it was hard for me. And I got depressed and all that stuff. So, yeah. At the same time, I have a cousin that was doing economics in college. And I was talking to him one day and then he was studying something and I saw a graph and I remember clearly it was a demand chart, all the geometric forms, and it was, oh my God, that's amazing. And I started doing my research about that and I fell in love with the, with the career and I decided to go to college and take a course in economics. My mom was super happy when I decided to go for economics. She was like, yes, that's the best. Oh, son, I support you, yeah, I go for math stuff like that. She was like, no army stuff. Yeah, she, she wasn't that happy with the idea of being in the army because remember that Venezuela is a country with a lot of instability. You actually, you are in the army and then you are actually in danger 24-7. And yeah, she, she was happy though. And in college, you know, I worked so hard to make her proud of me, you know, that all her sacrifice was worth it, you know, all these years. When I was in college, Chavez wanted to change the constitution, and we were students, so we were against that. You can't change this constitution. You need to go to a referendum. He went to a referendum, and he lost the referendum, right? And then he wanted to change the constitution because, because yes. So we basically went to protest against that, and it was madness. It was madness, and I remember people dying in Caracas, in the UCV, which is a college shot by the army. Like, in my college, a guy from the law school died in those protests, and I was there that day. And then we went, you know, to the funeral, all that stuff. So, yeah, it was uh, difficult, yeah, difficult times. 
it was sad, you know, see young people dying, or it was so frustrating. But it's it's hard to say that, but to be honest, I was used to that <laughs> violence. In some points, when you live in an environment where you see so many violence, you get at a point that you get used to that. You have to because it's the only way to survive. So your body and your mind and everything is like used to that. You are in alert 24-7. And the Chavez period was difficult, especially for the students, because we are rebels. The students are rebels and they must be like that. If you are in a college, you are there because you believe there is different way to think, right? And then you are there learning different way to think and then you build your own way to see things, right? And we believe in that. So in that Chavez period, a lot of students die in protests, a lot of students. When Chavez came into power, he came into power in 1999 and the political agenda that he has and the economy agenda that he has was super different. You know, he was more liberal, he respect more the institution, you know, and wasn't that authoritarian. He didn't talk at all about socialism or communism. He wasn't that, that bad, to be honest. I mean, I didn't like him personally, but he was a very, very clever person. And back then, people were tired of the, you know, traditional parties all the time lying to people, you know, stealing the money. The corruption was mental. So Chávez was basically what people really need back then. And in those first years, the petrol price was like $100 per barrel, which mass, you know. And in Venezuela, we have the biggest reserve of oil in the world. So the economy in general was good. I mean, it was a lot of money there. People were happy. Things start happening when he dies, so in 2013. So Chavez did this, you know, radio talk to the country and say, look, I'm going to go to Cuba. I don't know if I'm going to survive to the operation. If I don't, I want you to elect Maduro. He went to Cuba. He stayed there for like three months or something like that, and he died. They did the election, but Maduro didn't win the election. He lost the election. But they stole the election from the opposite candidates. And then a lot of protests happened again. A lot of people died again. And they tried to ban freedom of speech, all that. The economy was crazy. The inflation was like 100% per month. Everything was so expensive. And I was like, you know, I work so hard and yet I have no like money at all because everything is getting super expensive. Everything is connected. There's more inflation, you know, this political unstable country. Of course, a lot of crime is going to arise because of that situation. You know, people like, I, I have a normal job. I can't afford food. So I have to go and then get it another way, you know, because I have to feed my family. So that increased the crime in there. And I have seen that as well. Like even at eight at night, you wouldn't see anyone on the street, like nobody at all. You have to be locked down in your home because it was dangerous to go outside. And I remember I was working with a church and bringing food and clothes to the prisoners in prison in my city on Sundays. And I went to there and I was like shocked with what I saw. I was like, oh my gosh. They weren't locked in cells. They were free inside. They have disco. They have restaurants. They have a spa. They have pools. 
They have a track for, you know, scrambles, motorbikes. They have this whole these communities inside of the prison and a lot of guns. Never see so many guns in my life. Never, ever. And I feel like in that moment, I made the decision, like, I want to live. Ireland wasn't unknown for me. I mean, I knew Ireland when I was a kid because my uncle's wife, mother, was from Ireland. She was from Black Lion County, Cavan. So my auntie house, she has flags of Ireland, a little things that her mom's family sent them to her to Venezuela. So she has all that in the living room. And when I went there to do those classes after school, I used to see all that. And then my auntie told me all these stories and a few words in Irish as well. And she said that it rains a lot in here. <laughs> the hall was raining and cloudy. And I was like, how, how that? Like, always rain and cloudy. Like, it's never sound in there. No, it's always rain and cloudy. <laughs> the stories, all the, all the uh, usual kind of things. So that was always in the back of my mind. So when I wanted to keep going with my, you know, my, my career, like, you want to learn English because it was important for my profession. And I have a few friends from college doing English here in Ireland. And they told me that, you know, the culture and also, the, you know, the country was nice and all that stuff. And so I was like, yeah, that sounds good. I arrived in 2014 on March, but yeah, I was terrified, terrified because you, I, I moved to a country where I, I didn't speak the language. And that's a really big thing because I didn't speak English at all, like don't even hello. I just knew things from people that, know the culture is nice, you know, people are very approachable, like they are very open with immigrants. Because when you are living in your country, you, that's your first worry, like how they see immigrants, how they see people that are coming from outside, you know, because you are not used to that in your own country to feel that kind of discrimination. So maybe they don't like you because you are not from here. So like, that's a big worry that you have more than anything else. But I guess that that experience actually helped me because all the time that I, I need to ask for something to somebody on the street, on supermarket, any, anywhere, people were super nice and kind, you know, with me. That, you know, gave me a little bit more of, of confidence in many sense. My plan was come learn English and per perfect, which I failed, <laughs> and then move to Canada because I have a friend working there, but I fell in love with the country during that process. And then I decided to actually work hard to achieve that goal in here, which is not easy to be honest for us. Uh, it's particularly difficult, but it's worth it. You know, it's worth it. So I did my master in finance and NCI part-time because I used to work 70 hours per week during the master. So I had two jobs back then. It was a crazy time. I used to work, you know, in Accenture as a contractor for Facebook, but also I worked in Elephant and Castle as a chef. So seven to four, I work in the office, five to one in the morning, Elephant and Castle for nearly two years. And also when I have to get ready for tests, finals and all that stuff, I can tell you I didn't sleep for sometimes for two days, just, you know, coffee, coffee, no sleep because I go home at one in the morning, take a 
you know, a cold shower, whatever, and then go and try to do some college stuff like reading, studying until maybe five in the morning, six in the morning, and then go to work, you know, and, and that was a cycle that I did for two years. I find in, in this thing that I'm working at the moment is like when you love something, it's easy, you know. You don't feel you are working anymore, so you like they pay you for have fun, which is weird because I, I know it's finance and finance people, you know, you see them like boring, <laughs> but I, I like the job and my main goal was try to get a better position with this company. So I was like super focused on trying to do my job properly and all that. And so they finally offered me the internal position for the role. So I'm going to be like working permanent for the company and I'm super happy, like super happy. My mom cried when I told her, you know, because she just thought about everything that she went through, all the jobs she had to take. She has several jobs to help me to go, you know, to school. She was like super happy. It's thinking about that, it's like, it's like a job, you know, but people don't think about all the stuff you have to go through to get there. All these seven years to get that position. It's not like that position itself is everything you went through to get there. That's what gives you all that emotion and give you all that pride and make you think, you know, that you are blessed in some way. And the funny thing is, I'm not good at maths. <laughs> That's the thing, I'm not good, but I like it. I, I like, you know, numbers and stuff like that, but I'm not good at them. <laughs> I mean, I, I, average. But 10 years old, Gustavo would be dreaming about being a pilot in the armies. It's like, what are you doing working in finance? <laughs> what, what happened with the pilots kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. I always wanted a brother when I was like a kid, but I'm 10 years older than my brother. So when I was 10, 12, he was a baby. But still, we spent a lot of time together because my brother plays baseball and he was super good. And baseball is the, like, the main sport in my country. Like People love it. Like Everyone's mad about baseball. And I used to go to see him playing. I used to play with him at home as well, a lot. He was a pitcher. And I used to be a catcher for him. And man, it was like hard for me to keep up with him. And he was a kid, like a kid. He played for my home state team, like that means he was good. But he has actually an accident and that's why he couldn't keep going with baseball because he broke his arm. For a pitcher, it does, does this. It's very hard for you to come back after something like that. So he's, a, he's actually a nurse in Venezuela and he works helping surgery, like people that have trauma, like they have accident, car accident, stuff like that. It helped him. He's amazing, to be honest. He's wonderful. And I feel like that accident that he had with the harm was what helped him to decide he wants to be those kind of doctors that help people to go through those process. I'm 100% sure that that's what happened to him. I'm still homesick. <laughs> There's many things that you love, but you are always, you know, thinking about your homeland, like especially in Christmas time, because 
like Christmas for everyone in the world is a very special occasion, but for Venezuelan it's kind of a different whole experience because we have our own traditional music, we have our own food, sweets, you know, we have the things that we do in Christmas time. So I, I really get homesick in Christmas like a lot. Right now, they are okay, but it's like nobody is okay there. No one. I mean, there is so many difficulties that people have to face every day, you know, that build up, you know, in their minds. They have to queue for food. Maybe they have a shortage of water for two days. There is no public transport there. Everything now is in dollar and nobody gets paid on in dollar currency, you know. So that's so many difficulties and we have the COVID situation as well, um, which is mad. My brother works in the hospital and, you know, really horrible stories, horrible stories. It's very hard for them. They don't complain with me, but I know a lot of people are in a really bad situation there. And it, it's, it's very sad to see your friends and family go through that. Politically... I don't see, I don't have like a lot of expectation to be honest, because I mean, the opposition and the regime, Venezuela regime, they work together, you know, because they, they are politicians. They don't care about people at all, at all. Like they don't care. And people in there are in a stage that they have been suffering for that long, that they're in a state that they don't want to know anything about politics. They are trying to live their life. They are trying to be happy you know, at least. I don't care who is in power. I just want to be happy and I'm going to try to make the best out of this situation. That's the mentality in there. So my hope for the country is that they have the opportunity to build their dreams, you know, work towards that and achieve it, like, you know, in their own particular way. Because when I'm talking about dreams, not being a billionaire, which would be amazing, but, you know, dreams that people have, like write a book or something like that, you know. That's my my wish for, for the people there. But politically, and there is no hope for me. I haven't been able to go back since I came. I was planning to go before the COVID kick in. But the COVID started like, you know, nobody knew what was happening. And I was afraid to get locked in the country. And actually made the right decision because... I have a friend that went to Venezuela for for holidays from Qatar to Venezuela for like two weeks and she's still there because they locked the country. Nobody go out, nobody came in. I feel like I made the right decision, but now I think I'm going to be able to actually go there now. So that's, I'm planning that because I, I really need to go. Like I have dreams about that every day now. So many places that I want to go, the beach that is in my in my city, like I want to go there. I want to see the few friends that I still have there that I never left, left the country, my family. And that's what I'm looking for, like, you know, spend time with, with my people. I'm planning to go next year to there. So I'm like preparing myself mentally to go because that's another thing when you have been gone for that long in a country like, like my country, you're going to find a different kind of country. You know, seven years is a long time. Um, and people change so much, like, in seven years. like Because you have to understand them as well. Like, you are the one who left, and then 
they didn't have that opportunity and they think completely different than you. They see things from another perspective as well. And I'm also terrified to go back, to be honest, because those boundaries and that defense mode that you have, I don't have that here anymore. I mean, you, you go out and I'm not afraid of anything, you know. But there you need to be watching where you are all the time. But you have to go back and see your family. I miss them the most, like my brother, my mom, my dad, all, all of them. Ireland has so many wonderful places to go. Like, and I do a lot of outdoor activities in summer, a lot. I love to go to Hoth. I go to Hoth all the time in summer, like take that hike around the, the mountain. I mean, I'm never home when it's summer. When it's winter, it's a different story. I try to go to places like, you know, pubs that I like, which is like, oh, this is a cliche because it's islands. Yeah, you go to pub, but, but yeah, it's actually, it's nice, you know. And when I have any free time, I like go to a cafe and just sit in there, have a cafe, read a book or something. And it's something that I really love. And I didn't do that back at home because it's such a warm country. So it's like you don't have cafes like that, you know. You might have a beer, but not a cafe. <laughs> but here is a love. I'm a simple mom. I like those kind of stuff, you know. It's, 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 it's amazing. It's more than a home for me right now, this stage. And, and in that stage that I want to give Ireland more, you know, I want to do more for the country now because it's like a grateful kind of thing that I have, you know. And I feel like I'm a completely different person that I left. I'm more open and I have grown so much. Um, so I think that was the best decision of, of my life, to be honest. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I, I love my country. You always are going to have that that thing, you know. And here I feel like I'm adopted. I have, you know, achieved all my goals that I wanted to do. It. And this country helped me to do that. But also you always have that, you know, love for your homeland, which is going to be there until you leave this world. And that's, that's a reality, you know. And it is always a feeling that, even you are here for 50 years, you're still a foreign, you know, you know, I mean, you're still, you know, you're still brown. <laughs> but it's something that it doesn't bother me, you know, because that's the reality. You know, I wasn't born in here. I came here. But it doesn't mean that I don't feel this country like my home. That's a different story. This is part of what I am right now. And I have seven years, eight years here. So here I am, yeah. I believe Ireland is going to be a very, very multicultural country in a few years. And actually, you start seeing that right now. And this is our home. Even if you are not from here or you are Irish, but this is your home. So you have to get along well with people and no matter where they are from, because we are not going to be all the same or think the same. But still, we have to share the same home and look after that.
Thanks for listening. This has been a Bearprint Media production produced by Bjorn McGilla and me, Rob Flynn. Edit and mixed by me with original music by Haku Yo of Sonic Gate Studios. Special thanks to all our contributors for making this series possible. This series was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television license fee. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you use. Thanks very much for your support.